On this episode of Aka Education, Justin speaks with music composers-arrangers Catherine Bodur, Brian Sharp, and Jeff Bratz about the process of arranging music. Struggling with selecting repertoire? Not sure where to start when it comes to arranging? Catherine, Brian, Jeff, and Justin will provide tips as well as give insight to their own creative process to help get you started. Let's get ready. It's time for some Aka Education. It's the Aka Education Podcast. The Aka Education Podcast. How to Hey everybody, welcome to episode six of the Aka Education Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Glodish, and here we have three amazing arrangers from across the country uh, to share their arranging tips and ideas with you. I have Jeff Bratz, Catherine Bodor, and Brian Sharp. Jeff Bratz, he's an actor and musician based in Los Angeles. He sings with the LA-based rock band Radium and Jackson Hole-based rock band 86. He owns and runs the LA Holiday Caroling Company, Main Street Caroling Company. And Catherine, she's a composer and arranger based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. She has a master's in composition from the Jacobs School of Music at Indiana University, as well as a mechanical engineering degree. Her musical focus, whether arranging for voices or writing for contemporary chamber ensembles, is on layering, texture, and nuance with emotional, within emotional story arcs. Catherine's choral and chamber music has garnered numerous awards and has been premiered throughout the U.S. and internationally. And as an arranger, she works with high school, collegiate, and professional vocal ensembles to unlock their vocal expression. Her work is featured on compilations such as Voices Only and Best of High School Acapella, and her arrangements have helped clients make it to the ICCA Open Finals, as well as advance in ICCA and ICHSA. She regularly judges for varsity vocal competitions, master classes, and teaches at CASA festivals, and dives into score study with her composition and arranging students to pick apart effective music. And Brian, well, Brian got his beginnings in acapella in high school as a member of 11th Hour from Kettering Fairmont High School in Kettering, Ohio. Since then, he's majored in music education at Wright State University, and he began building his arrangement and composing work. He's published over 40 published choral compositions and arrangements and hundreds of self-published arrangements on Sheet Music Plus. He has numerous features on BOSHA, Best of High School Acapella, for those of you that don't know, as a performer, arranger, and audio engineer, and has directed many high school and middle school groups in the Dayton, Ohio area. Uh, Brian, Jeff, Catherine, welcome to the Aka Education Podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's good to be here. Now, um, what's exciting to me is that uh, we're talking about arranging today. And I know for me, as a middle school music teacher, um, I find that I struggle finding a cappella repertoire that fits my students' voices, um, whether it's the changing voices. You know, one year I had a group that was just uh, SSA, and then uh, males with changing voices became an SAB chorus, but it's still difficult to find reasonable repertoire for the middle school acapella group um, or even some of the high school acapella groups. So I found myself arranging a lot of things, but um, I want to talk about each of your, you each have a different process and I would love for the listeners to kind of know what exactly your process is. Um, Catherine, I would love to hear your process. Could you share? Yeah. Um, so the number one thing I stress in my arranging is 
just let it be your voice. And so I basically never, I stopped listening to the original song the moment I have it memorized. So I usually start by just listening through two or three times just to get a feel of the groove and um, what I like about the original. I usually um, pick out a few melodic lines or harmonies I love, and then I stop listening to it and just let my mind run wild in the background. Um, usually what ends up happening is I'll either um, approach the whole arrangement from the structure of the baseline. So I'll sketch out the baseline first to know the groove, know what's happening from section to section, know where it departs from the original. Um, and then I'll basically, when I sketch out the baseline, I'll know what's going to happen on top of it. I know when I want the sopranos to drop out. I'll know when the baseline drops out. I know basically kind of roughly what's going to happen. And then I basically flesh out the rest of the piece and I use um, melodic fragments. I embellish them, things that things that are going to work um, well as the cohesive whole. Or if I don't start with the baseline, I usually start by writing some sort of motif or melody that's going to basically dovetail, dovetail sections together or start the, the arrangement as an intro and then come back in the bridge and things like that. So my number one goal in mind is to find a melody or um, just a motif that kind of locks the whole piece together and um, kind of keeps the listener moving forward in the melody throughout. And so once, and usually that comes from not having listened to the original for a while. Usually I kind of either come up with that or embellish an existing melody. Um, and yeah, that's kind of in a nutshell how, how it kind of out organically. I, I love that you said the word organic. Do you find yourself um, trying to stray away from transcriptive qualities of the arrangement and and making more more of it more or less your own as opposed to like, this is the you know guitar part of a song. I want to transcribe it exactly the way it is. Um, do you find yourself kind of basing it off of it, but really kind of giving it your own groove, or um, do you? Yeah, you yeah, definitely I've, find that. I way. mean, there's so much. So, I kind of being versed in music for long as long as I have, I don't really think in terms of chords, and I'm fortunate enough I can just kind of think in terms of melody, and so I'll be hearing the song in my head and I already hear some sort of pattern happening like in the alto lines it's just like something that's happening and that isn't necessarily imitating a guitar or anything else but it's some sort of groove and rhythm in the background and even if mm -hmm. I'm I know that the altos are just one note of the chord I always am kind of trying to give some sort of energy even if it's as little as something like that something that's really idiomatic to the way we sing and so none of at least conscientiously, none of what I do is really transcriptive, except for when the bass part's really good. You know, if, right. if the group of the bass, oh, yeah. you got to just like, them, like you got to go. <laughs> yeah. If, if the bass line's grooving, then you need that bass yeah. line. I totally agree. Oh yeah. Like any uh, song and like a lot of pop requires that syncopated bass. So. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Um, you just mentioned Charlie Puth. So I actually want to uh, go to Brian now because uh, Brian, we actually, um, I know that you have actually arranged a few Charlie Puth charts um for um acapella groups and i would love to hear your process as well right yeah um so in a lot of ways my my process is actually pretty similar um to Catherine's, at least at first so um most of what i do is by request um so uh if i'm sitting down to w start working on an arrangement whether whether i've heard the song before or not the first thing i do is transcribe the melody um, mm -hmm. for me that's a big part of my process and just knowing where I am, knowing where I'm wanting to go, and also an opportunity to learn the song. Because um, a lot of times, if I'm sitting down with my laptop, sometimes it's the first time I've listened to it. Um, and then next time I get up, the chart's gonna be done. Um, so 
uh, transcribing the melody is always the first thing I do. Um, and as I'm going through there, sometimes in, in the different part staves, I'll, I'll, you know, put in a little lick that I hear that I like, or I'll kind of modify that lick a little bit to be more vocal-esque, or I'll jot notes above the staff that say, you know, like, um, white notes here, or build, or jinjadas, um, uh, or whatever, kind of what I, what I want to fill in when I come back later. Um, then after I go through with the melody and some notes, I will then write the baseline like Catherine said that she does. Um, so write the baseline as close as to what I think it's going to be, uh, as possible. Um, re uh, no matter what it ends up changing to an extent. Um, but at that point I'm mapping out the harmonic structure. So if I, if I want to change a chord progression, I'll make sure that that is, um, that that's represented in the baseline at that point. Um, and it'll also be determining kind of what the map is. So if I'm going to add four bars that isn't in the original recording, if I'm going to stretch out the end of a phrase, um, at that point, I want to have the map and the general harmonic structure nailed down as, as well as the bass part as close as I can. Um, then from there, it's kind of just going back and filling in gaps, you know, um, uh, just kind of fleshing out my notes, uh, making sure I'm, I'm filling out the harmonic structure um, making sure I'm, I'm fleshing out my moments, if you will, and that kind of thing. So awesome. And, uh, Jeff, how about you? How is your arranging uh, technique? Um, yeah, so, so I kind of started out arranging for the most part, the same way you did. Um, you know, I taught middle school and high school for a couple of years and, and had to create arrangements based around my groups, you know, what, what voices I had. Um, right. as of late, I've been mostly doing SATB because I, you know, I now have this caroling company and that's kind of what we do. Um, so it's a little bit limited uh, in in the sense of, you know, the the variety that you can do with a bigger group or the the really intricate super harmonies that you can do with like seven parts instead of four. But uh, but my process is actually relatively the same. You know, I'll start with um, the melody line, right? But mm -hmm. from that melody line. You know, then I'll then I'll steal the basic chords from whatever song I'm I'm doing, um, and then reharm them. You know, if I think the chords are are super lame, or I think they should be doing something a bit different, then I'll go through and reharm. Um, at which point, I then lay down the bass. Um, you know, and I'm sure that you guys do similar things with that. Uh, you know, getting the basic structure of everything down, and uh, getting a feel for what you want the tune to ultimately be, you know, how you want to change it. Do you want to do something super interesting with it or would that take away from the song? So you need to go more straightforward with kind of where the song started out. Um, and once you get, once you get a smoke and bass line down and like all the harmonies in place, laying in the, the middle parts is easy. You know, that's the easy stuff. Um, cause then you can, you're like, okay, well, you know, the melody's on a third here. I'm going to use something else there for the alto or for the tenor um, and figure out what kind of a groove you want on top of the bass line for those middle parts to do, whether it's, you know, whether it's uh, layering chords or just hitting hitting simple offbeats or, or whatever the case. Um, and, you know, and I always like to add some sort of original, like I said, it's mostly Christmas music, but I like to add some sort of original intro to it um, mm -hmm. just to like lead into it. And then I go and, and figure out what I want to do with the ending, whether it's, you know, it's a turnaround or I want to do some sort of interesting outro with it. Um, and so, so for the most part, you know, I, I align a lot with what Brian was saying. 
um, as far as layering it and arranging it in that style. Um, but again, it's, it's only four parts. So it's like, you have to get kind of creative with, with how you're adding the harmonies and what you're doing with the baseline and, you know, right. Um, yeah. Awesome. Now, um, as far as us educators and teachers are concerned, there's, there's so many schools of thought of what's the right way to pick an arrangement or what's the right way to pick repertoire. Um, and, you know, I know of, you know, there are colleagues out there um, that might, you know, scan the, the JW Pepper catalog and, and listen to examples and find something that, that fits or something that they like, or, you know, they, they ask friends for repertoire selections. Um, but when it comes to acapella, it's, it is a little bit different. I mean, I've seen more arrangements on the rise, especially on JW Pepper. Um, but I know that a lot of arrangers are now utilizing websites like Note Flight Marketplace or Sheet Music Plus or their own personal websites. Um, so I guess my question, and I'll, I'll start with Catherine again, what should teachers look for in an arrangement and um, what should they not look for, I guess? Let's, uh, let's put it in the realm of high school acapella. What should they look for um, when they're looking at arrangements? Um, well, the number one thing I think to keep in mind is um, what your group's what your group's desired message is. So, like when I pick repertoire, like and I in a lot of the services I offer is I will spend like however many emails or hours of Zoom calls it takes with especially high school directors to talk through lists and Spotify playlists to figure out what song speaks to your students and what are they passionate about this year because. Um, no matter what, no matter who you are, I think that you have to pick music, regardless of the genre, that speaks to you and speaks to your strengths. So, like, if I have one work, group I'm working with right now who is all about, um, like, female empowerment and that kind of stuff without being aggressive, because there's a lot of aggressive, there's, like, a lot of, like, you know, aggressive female empowerment songs, I think, that are out there and have been done, and they kind of want to take a more, like, solid, like, just a different take on it. And then I have another group who's right. looking into all EDM type things, but EDM with like a creepy vibe without being dramatic and like cliche. So it's like, Interesting. So we're, basically we're looking for, it's just like when, when you're picking repertoire, you want to, I think the number one thing you want to do is you want to have discussions with your students and ask, what are you passionate about? What do you want to sing about? What do you, what have you lived? What is in your lived experience that you want to express musically and use that as um, a springboard to figure out what messages you want. And then from that, find the pop songs or whatever kinds of songs you want. And with that, I also want to add, like, I think a lot of some, like, I've heard a lot of people who kind of tend to write pop music off as a little bit less um, deep, but I really, I personally don't agree with that at all because I think there are so many um, impactful and very um, poignant lyrics in pop music and because they're housed in this like very dance like produced type of atmosphere um certain directors i think tend to take them less seriously but i 100 like i would encourage you to like look into the lyrics especially of 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 the songs that you're trying to cover so you are like speaking my language you and i are on the same exact wavelength because i i agree with you 100 it, it if you have that conversation with your students before even selecting repertoire, they feel comfortable enough in the process. And I feel like the work ethic is stronger because there's a connection to what they are singing. 
I love that you said that because I totally agree with you 100%. Um, Jeff, what about you? Um, how would how would you tell teachers to look towards an arrangement? Yeah, you know, it's it's super similar, really. Like I when I was teaching, I always let my students dictate what we we're going to sing, mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, I'm I'm not a student anymore. I'm not 16, 15. I, I might still act like it a bit, but I, you know, I don't really know what people are listening to and what what moves them. Um, so I figured, you know, letting the students sort of dictate, you know, at least at least the general zone that you want to go with music mm -hmm. um, is huge. And uh, and I, you know, then I would just arrange it because it's so hard. I don't know. I think if you're just looking specifically for arrangements of a song, I think it's so hard to find exactly what you want out of an arrangement. Um, so I would definitely encourage teachers, if they're not already doing it, to sort of just, you know, at least put a toe in the arranging world and see what you can do with that. Um, because it's it's so fulfilling once you get a piece together and your students are all singing and it was something that they wanted to sing to begin with. And then it's also something that came from you and the students working together. Um, so I, I definitely think letting the groups dictate the music is the better way to go. Like you said, you know, they're going to have a passion behind it. They're going to have an energy behind it that, you know, if I, if I just choose some random song from the eighties and I'm like, yeah, because I love this song, right. they're going to be like, okay, grandpa. I know. I, I agree there because I mean, a lot of the times when you talk to students, they might say, well, my teacher picked this because it related to them as opposed to it relating to us. So totally. Yeah, absolutely. I would just also add that having that overarching message that everyone's on the same page about means every single do and din and ooh and da, all of that, even when you don't have words, all the texture becomes imbued with like the energy and the strength of the message. And so instead of having a, an arrangement where half, you know, the baritone part is mostly dins and do's or whatever until the very end, every single one of those dins and do's mm -hmm. serves a purpose and they connect with it emotionally instead of just feeling like they're an auxiliary kind of background part and not really having as much of an investment in it. So, yeah. Right. I agree. Uh, how totally. Yeah, I don't think I've actually arranged anything that I meant to arrange <laughs> since I was in college. Like it's always been dictated by whatever, you know, whatever I'm arranging for and whatever group is like, no, we're doing this song. And I'm like, Agreed. yes, we are. I love that. Uh, Brian, how about you? Yeah, I, I, I would echo all of the thoughts um, uh, noted on this so far. Um, but also, yeah, so when I was directing groups, um, for me, it was always a mixed bag of everything in, tr in terms of picking repertoire. So sometimes um sometimes it would be dictated by me if there's something i'm really um passionate about or think that would really work well um that's more so that what i do towards the beginning of the year to kind of get the ball rolling kind of figure out who the group is and to catherine's point about having the group sing in a style um that is true to them i think is extremely important um, but as that ball gets rolling i would basically always put the ball in the kids court so I would say, hey, next time at rehearsal, uh, everyone bring a few songs um, that you think might work. We'd go through them together, and then we'd generally wind up picking something off of those lists, um, unless I had to use some sort of executive veto power uh, for whatever reason, if I just really didn't think something was going to work. Um, but I think that's an opportunity to build kind of a collaborative, creative process between uh, teacher and student that you don't get to do in a more traditional choral atmosphere. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's really exciting. And also the, the kind of opportunities where 
um, a kid has like a nugget of an idea, like, oh, here's a song, but what if we slowed it down a little bit? And then like, I made up a riff for the beginning and they might not be able to flesh out the entire thing, but at least give like a nugget of something that, that you can pass off to an arranger or arranger self that is, becomes the group's very unique um, thing that's personal to them. Um, so yeah, I think, I think putting the creative ball in the, in the student's court is always a, a positive thing. Um, now, in terms of arranging, you know, you all have been arranging for quite some time and uh, same as myself trying to arrange for my students, but there's many educators out there that might not have the first idea as to what to do when it comes to arranging. Um, do you have any uh, tips for the novice um, arranger out there? Um, Brian, we'll start with you since uh, we just left off with you, so. Yeah, I would say, um, first and foremost, don't be afraid to keep things simple. Um, I think a lot of times we hear these, these you know, 14-part bell chords on like the, the world's coolest acapella recording, and that's, that's where people getting started want to, they want to start right there with that. Um, so take a step back and think, you know, what is effective? What is, uh, what is flashy? Um, and where do you need to be in that? Because I don't think I don't think um, an effective arrangement has to be complicated. I don't think an effective arrangement has to have a million parts. Um, I think it can be, you know, four part, mostly block kind of harmonies um, with big moments, dynamic contrast. That's easy, easy, quote unquote, to arrange, um, but is also immensely effective in performance. So, so keep it simple. Um, put it to the group, learn it, analyze what works, what doesn't work adapt a little bit, try another arrangement using the things that you learned from the first one. Um, but yeah, I, th I think just, just dive in. Don't be afraid to, to change things as you go in rehearsal um, and keep it simple. Catherine, you want to add on to that? Uh, yeah. Um, my biggest thing is three-part harmony on words. Like everyone wants, I think we have this, you know, human just natural um, desire to sing harmony on words. And so even though the like, I guess, quote unquote, classic picture of acapella is a lot of like, dim da, you know, do, do, like all, all that, like right. really know where, you know, where the chords can change in a way that allows for the predominant, like for the majority, if not all the parts in the arrangement to be on words, enabling them to sing with the soloist or even as backup harmony, because when people are singing words, they just suddenly connect. There's like a zing, you know, there's, there's just energy, uh, such a change. So don't be afraid to use that. And with that, um, cliches are cliches for a reason. Don't be afraid to have, you know, add like an add nine or something and like a, like, um, when everyone's basically on words at the same time, maybe without the bass part, but um, having that contrast between having like a pad, like white notes to mm -hmm. all of a sudden ever, everyone on words, whether that's quiet and soft or loud, that kind of contrast, just use that to, to your advantage because people love to sing on words. I love that. Uh, it, it, I, I, I'm going to use um, the one uh, group that, pretty much everybody seems to know nowadays, and that's pentatonics, uh, simply because their arranging style utilizes that, you know, they'll, your background voices will hit those dooms and those does, but then there's that one moment when those three voices, you know, the, 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 the three voices just come in, excuse me, come right. in on some, 
some words and you're like, wow. Exactly. Um, but I, I, I totally agree. But I, I think, um, you know, for those of you out there listening, Pentatonix does that a lot. And, um, but they're not the only people because we have three arrangers here who, who do that as well. Just letting you all know. Um, Jeff, you want to add on to that? Uh, yeah, I might say first off four arrangers. Um, but also, uh, wow. Um, you know, I, I would just, uh, combine actually what Brian and Catherine just said, uh, in that, you know, start out simply, you know, almost across the board with arrangements. If you start out simply, you have somewhere to go with the arrangement, you know, and then mm -hmm. on either the chorus or later on in the song with the verses, you know, adding in where everybody's singing the same words at the same time or like building it, you know, you start out with one soloist and everybody else is dimming and dying and ooing and eyeing. Uh, and then it gradually becomes two voices and then three voices doing these words on the harmonies. And it just adds this energy to the song that drives it through all the way to the end. So it doesn't ever get stale. It doesn't ever get boring, you know, and by the end of the song, it's just this power wall of, of voices singing together on these harmonies with, you know, interesting notes, add nines or 13s or 11s or whatever it is. Um, and, uh, and so you can, you can also very easily and effectively be simple while still adding in the complexity you want at specific points in the song to make it super interesting. Mm -hmm. um, now, the process itself, um, because I know there's a few arrangers out there. Um, there's so many notation programs out there, Sibelius, Finale, Note Flight. There's so many different things out there. But there's some people out there who actually um, feel that that might be time consuming. So they actually record themselves singing the voice parts first and then either utilize that as uh, teaching students by rote or um, or whatnot, or then they go back and notate it. Um, do you do the notation first, or do you find yourselves um, recording the parts first, or is it a little bit of both, uh, Brian? Yeah, so for me personally, I go straight into finale. Um, I do um, lots of singing and kind of riffing um, at my uh, at my computer as I'm going. Um, mm. But yeah, I go straight into finale. That's just the process that kind of works for me. Um, I come from a little bit more, I'm originally a band guy and instrumentalist actually mm -hmm. first. So that's just, I just kind of think more in terms of notated music. Um, so yeah, I, I go straight into finale. I don't, um, I don't shame anyone who doesn't. Um, and I think, I think there's actually a lot that can be gained from doing both. Um, and if you're a notation person, you know, stretch yourself and do a, do a full arrangement, you know, recording into a doll or, um, if you're a, you know, um, if you're a, a, a recording arranger, you know, try, try going straight into a notation program. I think there's a lot that can be learned from, from stretching yourself both ways. Mm -hmm. uh, Catherine, what about you? Yeah, I, I echo everything that Brian said and um, I'd like definitely try both, both ways of arranging. I personally, um, I come from, I guess, a composition background, so I'm very comfortable and fast in Sibelius, mm -hmm. um, very fast at like keyboard entry or MIDI entry, whatever. Um, but I have dabbled in arranging first from a DAW and then record it, and then I guess notating it. Um, right. And my, for me personally, I love being able to see the score in Sibelius. And whenever I'm putting in all the notes, I'm always, I've sung all the lines to myself a billion times. I thought, oh, no, no, no. like, oh, this note here, you know, but right. then the drawback of, of that is that sometimes I get 
I have the tendency of getting too complex and I have to sit back and take a step back and go, oh, wait a second. Okay. This does need to be here, you know, erase it. But when I've arranged from straight from into Pro Tools, the drawback is I have a harder time kind of feeling interesting corporate, like rhythmic. I, I have a hard time telling when there's too much or too little going on because it's mm -hmm. I get less of that immediate visual feedback. For example, like when I've all my arrangements I've done in a in a DAW. I don't really have any like bell type of like do 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 type of textures happening, but right. most of my arrangements that end up happening straight into Sibelius do have something like that. And so a lot of the the arranging I've done into a DAW has has like different types of complexities, but also a lot more like padded and held notes, just because mm -hmm. I'm less inclined to create something more technical. But sometimes I have had, sometimes I get way too crazy and I have like eight different rhythms happening at the same time. So there's definitely drawbacks and like pros and cons for both. But I think in general, I, I notate in Sibelius and then I will record a vocal demo. And sometimes I end up tweaking like the cutoffs and phrasing and maybe adding in a couple extra notes in that process. But yeah. Okay. Awesome. Uh, Jeff, how about you? Uh, yeah, I, I go straight into Sibelius um, mostly because I find if I just, uh, you know, do it vocally and, and record that way, I end up doubling weird chords and I end up, uh, you know, adding notes that shouldn't be there or missing notes that should be. Um, mm -hmm. And, and when it's all laid out before me, you know, it's, it's so much easier to read. It's so much easier to see what's really happening. Um, but, you know, like they said, it, it totally depends on you personally and the group. Like, Justin, I know, you know, in the fault line, we started out with written music. Right. And and by about week two, we just got rid of it and we just sat down and jammed. You know, it, and it took, it took a week for us to realize that was not our thing. Yeah, that was thing. not our way to go. Um, <laughs> But it was like it was like all of a sudden we started jamming and these really interesting, cool like rock arrangements came out, um, and it was like oh I didn't even know that this was a possibility for arranging like I didn't even know mm -hmm. that somebody could do this. But if you if you trust the group musically, then you can do something like that and then you know go back and tweak it a little bit as needed. Right. Um, but I tend to go straight into the into Sibelius. Right. I, um, you know, it, you mentioned that. And last week's episode, we had um, Evan Feist and Dr. Mark Silverberg talking about improvisation. And uh, one of the things they had come up with and talked about was organic arranging. And that was basically what we did in the fault line was we sat in a room, you know, let's do this song. And then, you know, Matt, our bass would sing a bass line. I would come up with a percussion um, something. And then you, uh, Josh and Adam would pretty much, uh, and, and Tommy would, basically fill out the rest yeah. and that was how a, a lot of our songs came to play um well which, at one point you know, we we had to you know yeah. when, when we went on agt they were like oh you can't do any of the songs you know you have to come up with something new and we were like yeah you in 30 minutes we have to come up with something new oh okay yeah. great yeah there was a lot of, a lot of copyright issues uh, <laughs> like the songs the songs that we wanted to do they didn't have the uh the license or the ability to have us perform them on air and it's not like they were like bad songs it's just they didn't have the rights to them, which was a struggle. <laughs> yeah. I, I still like to say we came in eleventh place, though. We did. Uh, I know. We did, <laughs> me too. <laughs> we did me too. Okay. Um, I said we so, made the top fifteen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, eleven sounds better than fifteen does, to me. Yeah. Um, so uh, I know I know Catherine and Brian and I believe Jeff as well. Um, yeah, because uh, in your teaching experience, you've done this. Um, when it comes to arranging a specific song, say you've been commissioned to arrange a song. Do you focus on 
Um, knowing that the group has a rock solid soloist and you arrange it specifically for that soloist, or do you focus on the all um, encompassing ensemble uh, when you write your arrangements? And I'll start with Catherine on this one. Uh, yeah, um, when I've been told by a group that they want to really feature their soloist in an arrangement, I keep that front and center because at the end of the day, even one person, you know, if a soloist is really an amazing um, performer and artist, one person, that one person sitting on a stage alone delivering just the melody of the song should capture an entire audience. So at the end of the day, I want to keep that front and center and I tend to kind of let the arrangement breathe a little bit more when that's the case. Um, most of the time, the, like, at least nowadays, I don't think that it ends up happening the Sorry, I don't think that ends up being the case because a lot more and more often, at least in the last year, I'm getting a lot of directors request um, duo moments and trio moments, which I'm really happy about because mm. I love writing for those kinds of moments. So, yeah. Awesome. Uh, Brian, how about you? Yeah, so um, actually this kind of harkens back to our conversation about picking a, how to pick a song. I, I almost assume that the solo is going to be solid. So I think you right. should pick that song based on, you know, you have someone that can that can deliver that well. But that being said, I actually probably think of it more of, um, you know, making the backgrounds cohesive um, and then just kind of assume that that solo is going to fit in. Um, I've never, to be completely honest, I've never really thought about it that intently, but I do definitely focus more on what's happening in the background um, rather than kind of thinking about what what their soloist is going to do so in in mm -hmm. many ways i just think they're going to more or less sing what the what the recording is is doing uh, unless i throw right. in some curveballs here and there mm -hmm. uh jeff yeah I, I totally agree with brian i mean i you know if if somebody's going to sing a song hopefully the soloist is up to par to do it um but you know if not i'm uh, you know i'll split it up between however many vocalists make sense for the song. Um, but making sure that the background is cohesive and interesting enough, but not that it will like overrun the soloist. Um, you know, and a lot of that depends on if, if there's percussion, then percussion as well, but the bass part, you know, and making sure that the bass part is something that that is rock solid, interesting, that can carry the pad above it, whatever that pad happens to be. So then the solo can just shine over the top of it, however they're going to. Um, so you all know that we're currently in, in the middle of a pandemic. And um, as far as what, <laughs> as far as educators are concerned, um, it's, it's a struggle because everywhere uh, across the country, each state has a different, um, you know, each state is experiencing a difference in, you know, infection rates. Um, and when it comes to actually going back to school, um, some states are focusing strictly on remote learning, online learning. Some are comfortable uh, doing a hybrid model where they send kids to school half the time and then they do things remotely the other half. And then there actually are some out there that are saying, you know what, you're going to go right back to school five days a week, seven hours a day. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty going on as far as us teachers are concerned. Um, but I want to ask, you know, what are some uh, tips or suggestions, uh, you know, say I'm a general music teacher because I do teach general music as well. And I want to do some sort of, you know, composition assignment in a sense. Do you have any uh, tips or ideas for how t 
teachers can utilize that to kind of get this information to their students and almost get their students uh, composing or arranging. Jeff? Um, yeah, I actually think this is a great opportunity for, you know, specifically for choir directors, you know, who are so used to having this full room of students yelling songs back at them to, to teach their students a bit more about what they're yelling, you know, um, mm. and to get them sitting at their computer with Sibelius or, you know, there are, there are a lot of free programs out there too that, mm -hmm. you know, they're not quite as complex and very user friendly that they can use um, to, to get them, you know, more understanding the harmony situation and, and how composition works. Um, you know, and, and I haven't put together a curriculum in years at this point, but I'm sure that there are a lot of really good um, tools out there for teachers to use as far as, you know, how do we get students to start composing or to start learning theory in at least a basic way so that when they're singing, they have a better understanding of how it all fits together instead of just, oh, well, I, I think I'm above this person, but below this person, um, you know, and, uh, and uh, I think it's crazy to send students back to school right now, um, but that aside, um, but yeah, so I actually think it's a great opportunity to, to get beyond just singing in a group in a choir and to teach those choirs more about the music they're singing. How about you, Catherine? Yeah, absolutely. Everything that Jeff said. And with that, I would even encourage any access to technology with, um, if it's as something as simple as GarageBand on an iPad mm -hmm. or something or maybe something more advanced, maybe the school already has Pro Tools or another, any other software logic, um, getting students to start to experiment with what harmony means to them and how they can um, cover their favorite song. And if that means uh, like a little assignment, um, you know, you have two weeks to try to arrange whatever that means to you, you know, a verse and a chorus of a song, just to see how their brains are thinking about harmony and get them to start thinking about how how what they hear how they can match what they hear to what they sing because i think you know there's one thing to just sing along with the lead of a you know hit on the radio if anybody listens to the radio nowadays it's all TikTok. um it's something that's <laughs> it really is <laughs> better for worse um and but it's entirely different to start to imagine harmonies audiate them and reproduce them in garage band without necessarily hearing the original song playing in the background and so that i think will automatically start teaching audiation and, um, you know, accurate reproduction of pitch and that, those kinds of things. Um, then I will add us on the second layer, if, you know, if a, if, a, if a school is deciding to do something like a virtual choir or that kind of project, I highly, highly, highly suggest that you give the students the reins in the video component. And if students get together in groups of like two, three or four and start you know, brainstorming and filming some sort of cohesive video, even if it's shot on iPhones, but something that gives interest and is unique to them and their message and the way they interpret the song, um, instead of having that classic box, heads and boxes, virtual choir format, which obviously we've all seen, it's great, um, but having that extra um, initiative and creativity on the video side from the students is another great way to keep them, you know, engaged and thinking about why they're singing and what they're singing about. I like that. Brian, how about you? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a huge question because every every uh, situation is different mm -hmm. depending on what your not only your state and your your regulations coming from 
um, from your state, but also your district and then your, what your particular situation is with your, your class sizes and that kind of thing. But I mean, I see this as a good opportunity to, um, to yes, incorporate technology and also split into to maybe some, some project groups. So if you have a, a normal group of, you know, a choir of 30, or if it's an eighth grade choir of 80, mm-hmm. um, you know, split them into quartets or, or octets or something. Um, and maybe put together a, a, a pre-vetted list of pop songs that you know have simple um, harmonic structures. Send those around to your kids. Give them a few weeks to collaborate within their small groups. Um, get them started with, a, I don't know, a loop of the bass line. Like here's, the, here's where the bass line's going. It's one, five, six, four. Uh, figure out how, get, you know, a brief lesson in diatonic harmony. Here's how the, the, the chord tones stack on top of, on top of these lines, go make an arrangement and uh, just have fun with it. Because um, I think I think kids will welcome that uh, that creative opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the great thing about pop songs is generally they are they're diatonic. Um, it's very easy to find popular songs that all of them are going to know that that fit within the one one four five six um, chords that loop the entire the entire thing. So. Um, Right. And there's yeah, a, there's I mean, that's a, a, that's a big question, but there is a, there's a great program out there uh, called sound trap. Um, and it's a cloud-based uh, program. It's actually similar to GarageBand. And one of the cool things that they have, because we've used it at uh, my district, it's a, uh, it's a, it has a collaborative feature. So, you know, especially if the students are out of school and they're learning virtually, they can log in from their own home and all of them can work on the same project at the same time and then you know they have that collaboration going on um right there so one could be singing something from home and then the other you know people in their project can be listening to it from their homes so um there's definitely a lot of programs out there and i'm actually going to be talking about some of those programs in the mailbag uh earlier or later on in our uh, in our show so um a lot of great ideas so just just to just to add to that i know that we're talking about acapella but man get in front of a piano because it's so mm-hmm. like it, everything is laid out like it was meant to be, you know, <laughs> and you can just sit there in front of the piano and it's so easy to figure out how things fit together and how things stack and how, how you can move things in certain ways way easier than just doing it off the top of your head or, or with a guitar right. or with so many other instruments, just get in front of a piano. Right. I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, uh, for me, that's, that's how my piano chops got better. <laughs> Sitting in front of a piano every day is like, I, I wasn't the strongest piano player, you know, going through college. And, uh, but I think being a part of it every day and actually really listening to what I was playing and that helped with the arranging as I, as I went forward. Totally. Uh, um, so before we head out, um, I do want to take a moment to give you all an opportunity to promote yourselves because I know that each of you do amazing things and I don't want to miss out on anything. So I will, if there's any websites, any ways to contact you in terms of, you know, people wanting to uh, commission arrangements through you, um, how would they go about doing that? Uh, We'll start with Catherine. Yeah. So fall is the busy season Um, from August to December. I'm usually pretty packed with arranging commissions, um, but I'm still open for them. Um, the easiest way to contact me is via my email, which you can see on my website, which is katherinebador.com, or my email is just katherine.bador at gmail.com. Um, and all of my, or at least most of my existing arrangements are available on Sheet Music Plus, and you can contact me to send you demos and part tapes as well. 
Um, and yeah, I'm basically working nonstop right now um, with a bunch of high school clients, which are currently um, the, the bulk of what I do. So um, reach out and I'm, I would love to work with your group. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Jeff, how about you? Uh, yeah, I have, a, I have a site called HarmonyTabs.com, which started out as a pet project, putting together like the vocal harmony sections of popular tunes, but has mostly become like an arranging site for myself. Um, so you can find all my arrangements on there uh, or contact me on there to commission. Um, and, uh, you know, snoop around the site a little bit. You might find something fun. Awesome. And Brian? Yeah, so um, check out my uh, published arrangements with uh, Alfred Music. There's a handful of those. You can get those or um, see those on your favorite sheet music dealer websites. Um, also, uh, head over to my Sheet Music Plus store. I think it's called B Sharp Music or something like that. You'll, uh, you'll be able to find that there. Otherwise, um, yeah, feel free to find me on Facebook, Brian Sharp or uh, send me an email at brianflat89 at gmail.com. Uh, see what I did there? Yeah, I it's see. Brian with a Y. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm around on Facebook. Uh, that's always a, a, good, a good place. If you're listening to this podcast, we probably have mutual friends, so I'll be easy to find. But, mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Way to find most of us, I'd say. Acapella world is so small, and it's such a niche community. So It really right. is. And I'm hope, we're hoping to expand it with this podcast to get more and more people involved in listening. So uh, Brian, Jeff, Catherine, I thank you for your time today. Um, I wish you all the best, uh, especially during the middle of a pandemic. What, says Brian? Um, so uh, thank you for your time. And uh, yeah, that's all I have. Um, we'll be right back after this. And welcome to the mailbag. This week's segment actually talks about all the different programs you can use to try and arrange online. Uh, some have been mentioned earlier in our podcast, like Note Flight, uh, Finale, and Sibelius. Uh, MuseScore is another great option, M-U-S-E-S-C-O-R-E. Soundtrap is a, a recording software that's actually similar to GarageBand, uh, but it's cloud-based and it can be used on any um, platform. Um, also, you know, check out Music First. Music First offers Soundtrap as well as Note Flight, as well as Flat.io, as well as Sight Reading Factory, a bunch of different options for you to use as a music educator. I also want to take a moment to tell you about an awesome new feature, actually two new features we have on this podcast. One is you can actually now send a voice message to let me know how I'm doing and how this podcast is doing and to give any insight on how to make it better. And you can also support this podcast monthly with a little donation. If you go to the episode description, you will see send in a voice message and support this podcast. We'll be right back. And that does it for another episode of the Aka Education Podcast. I want to take a moment to thank Catherine Bador, Jeff Bratz, and Brian Sharp for sharing their insights on how to arrange. Be sure to check out the links in our episode description for different resources that we discussed during today's episode. Check us out on social media, Aka Ed Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. Be sure, if you haven't done so already, to subscribe to this podcast so you can be notified when a new episode is posted every week. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Music Podcasts, and we're also on Anchor. You can also now check us out on Akaville Radio, akaville.org. 
And last, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the podcast, be sure to email me at akaedpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Justin Glodish. I'll see you next week.